0: Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the Gospel of Matthew, which reveals who Jesus was and what he came to do. And we pray that through my words and as we listen, we might hear him speaking to us of the part that we have to play in the mission and ministry that his father gave him. Amen. It may come as a bit of surprise to you that at least as far as the Church of England's calendar is concerned, we are still in the season of Epiphany. Today is the third Sunday in Epiphany, and that's why we still have a gold altar frontal. And I guess it seems a long time since December when we journeyed with the Magi, during Advent. And even early January seems a long time ago when we celebrated the arrival of the Magi in Bethlehem and the giving of their gifts to the infant Jesus. As soon as Christmas and New Year are over, work begins again, term starts, and life moves on. And life moves on even more swiftly in the wider world where there's hardly time to draw breath after the Christmas rush, before the next commercial opportunity. And I'm sure you will have noticed the Valentine's cards on sales in Morrison's and the Easter egg aisle not far behind it. So why stay in Epiphany? Why continue to reflect on it? Well, the word Epiphany means revelation or manifestation, And one dictionary definition offers the following. A moment of sudden and great revelation or realization. In other words, it's the moment when we suddenly see or understand something in a new or very clear way. And if we reflect, our Bible readings and the accompanying reflections over the past few Sundays have all focused on how different people experienced a profound and possibly unexpected revelation about who Jesus was and what he came to do. Let's just remind ourselves. We began Epiphany with George's reflections about how at the end of a journey to follow a star, the Magi recognized... Jesus as the light of the world, not just a Messiah for the salvation of God's people in Israel, but a Savior for all peoples throughout the world. And this revelation was expressed poetically by the elderly Simeon when Mary and Joseph presented their baby son in the temple. This is what he said, "'My eyes have seen your salvation.'" which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And then a couple of weeks ago, Steve, in his reflections, reminded us of how John the Baptist also experienced a sudden revelation of who Jesus was as Jesus came to him asking to be baptized in the River Jordan. And then last Sunday, Matthew Trick reflected on Jesus' baptism through the words and eyes of another John, this time John the Gospel writer, who in his opening verses to his Gospel tells of the identity and vocation of the true light coming into the world. And so we come today to the passage from Matthew's Gospel, where we see Jesus begin his earthly mission and ministry And in fact, we're still following this same theme of revelation, as Jesus' identity and his vocation are increasingly revealed to the world that he had come to save. If we look at that passage, and I think you'll find it on page 915... In your Bibles, so please do get them open because we'll be having a look at a little bit more of Matthew later on. As we look at that passage, we see that Matthew stresses the fact that Jesus began his ministry way up in the north of the country, in Galilee, far from the hostility and threats that had faced his cousin, John the Baptist further south, near the River Jordan, and close to Jerusalem, which was the center of political and religious power at the time. And as Matthew does so often in his gospel, he draws close links between Jesus and the prophetic writings of the Old Testament. He harks back to the opening verses of Isaiah, chapter 9, drawing a direct connection between the promises of Isaiah and the arrival of Jesus. And just like Simeon in the temple, Matthew expresses a sense of profound revelation about who this man Jesus is and what he has come to do. A great light, Matthew asserts, has finally dawned On all those who live in a land of deep darkness, regardless of whether they belong to the Jewish nation or to any other of the peoples on earth. Like the Magi, like John the Baptist, like John the beloved disciple, like Simeon in the temple, Matthew, the gospel writer, is crystal clear in his own mind about the identity and mission of Jesus. And he demonstrates this throughout the gospel that bears his name. And we'll be reading more of Matthew's gospel over the coming weeks. So it's worth watching out for how he communicates this revelation about Jesus' identity and Jesus' vocation to his readers. But I want us just to go back for a moment and look again at the first four chapters. Just recap about how Matthew has put this gospel together. And why we have arrived where we are. It's no accident that Matthew's Gospel begins with the genealogy of Jesus on page 913, for this situates Jesus within the Jewish nation as well as beyond it later on. It proves Jesus' Jewish heritage right back to Abraham, who is the father of all peoples, and then on through King David and beyond. And if we look closely as the chapters unfold, we see that they offer an unfolding revelation from Matthew about who Jesus is and why he has come. And this revelation is something that individuals experience. We see on pages 913 and 14 sudden moments of understanding and realization on the part of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, through the dreams that God brings to him. On page 914, we see the realization of the Magi as they reach the end and the goal of all their journeying to encounter the king and priest and savior of all. On page 915, we see John the Baptist's dawning realization that Jesus must indeed be baptized by him in the Jordan if he is to fulfill his vocation to humankind and the whole earth. And then, at Jesus' baptism, we see God's absolute confirmation of Jesus' identity. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Perhaps it's significant that all four gospel writers record the Spirit of God resting upon Jesus in the form of a dove, anointing Jesus in his vocation and for his future mission and ministry. But before that, before that ministry begins, Jesus must undergo a period of testing in the wilderness. There are some fundamental questions to be faced. And answered. And Matthew's account of this experience in chapter 4 on page 915 makes it clear that Jesus is directly challenged by the tempter on two key issues. The first one concerns Jesus' identity, who he is. If you are the Son of God, Ask Satan, are you sure? Can you be certain? Shouldn't you test it out? Go on, try it and see. Because if you are the Son of God, then surely certain things will follow. But however tempting it may be, Jesus does not take this bait. We don't know whether he doubted his own identity at this point. But we can infer from the passages that he sets aside any potential doubts and prefers to trust in God's words at his baptism and thus remains secure in who he is. In his identity as God's chosen and beloved son, This is a truth that does not need to be put to the test. The second issue on which Jesus is challenged in the wilderness concerns his vocation. What is it that Jesus has come to do? What sort of vocation was he anointed for? What shape should his future mission and ministry take? So, says the devil... If you are the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. Use your divine powers to transform creation and meet your own physical needs. If you are the son of God, says Satan, throw yourself down from the temple mount. Prove that God will not permit you to suffer and die as a result of your human frailty and condition. And then the final test, all this power and influence I will give you if you will just bow down and worship me. In other words, says the devil, Come, achieve your kingship, your sovereignty through me and my methods, not through those of God. Jesus responds to each of these challenges about the nature of his vocation with words from the Hebrew scriptures, which he must have known and loved and treasured and which had embedded themselves deep within him. And we should perhaps learn something about that for ourselves. Scripture can be the most amazing resource, particularly in times of weakness and testing. Despite Jesus' weakness and his loneliness after this period of retreat, Jesus sees through the temptations that are presented to him by Satan. And although in this experience Jesus is asked three questions, And sermons often structure themselves around those three questions. I prefer to see them as reflecting two basic temptations that faced Jesus, both of which hark back to the experience of his baptism, which had occurred immediately before he went into the desert. And remember that in some versions, in some of the gospel accounts, Jesus is driven by the Spirit into the desert to face these critical questions of existence and purpose, of identity and vocation. The first challenge or temptation is that Jesus should doubt his true identity as God's beloved son. And the second is that Jesus should abandon his vocation, the vocation to which he has been anointed by God, and should instead pursue a different calling, But Jesus emerged from that wilderness experience having held fast to his true identity as God's beloved son and to his true vocation as God's anointed one. And this is surely the firm foundation on which he begins his earthly mission and ministry as we read in Matthew chapter 4. In that passage we had, This morning that Christine read to us where Jesus begins a ministry of preaching, of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, of healing every disease and illness among the people in the place that God has called him to be. And secure in his identity as God's beloved son and confident in his vocation as God's anointed one. We see in the rest of chapter four how Jesus calls others to join him and share in his earthly mission and ministry. Come, he says, follow me, and I will send you out as my Father has sent me. And so in Matthew chapter 4, there begins a new phase in Jesus' life and in the lives of all those who respond to his call to come and follow. Some of their names we know well from the gospel accounts, but there are others whose names are not recorded, though they are known to God. And in their experience, we can see that before there can be a new beginning, there often needs to be an ending of something else. For Jesus, it meant leaving his home behind in Nazareth and leaving behind his status as Mary and Joseph's son. For some of those who responded to his call, it means leaving behind their fishing nets and boats. And for others, an even more costly ending may be needed, involving the leaving behind of parents or friends. But over the weeks and the months that follow, Jesus will steadily nurture within those who choose to join him a growing sense of a new identity that comes from their relationship with him, together with a new sense of God's purpose and calling in their lives. So what does this passage have to say to us? What do these epiphany reflections, this theme of revelation, speak into the life of our church and of us as individuals? Well, in the life of Camborne Church, perhaps we too have a sense of endings and new beginnings, as we give thanks for what is past, and as we look forward to a new season under Matthew's leadership. And maybe this is a good time to reflect on our own sense of identity before God, both individually and corporately. Who are we? Or who are we sometimes tempted to think we are? What is our true identity and how far do we live in the light of that truth? Like many of you, I, in my professional working life, have a business card which helps to communicate something of who I am and what I do. But I do find it tempting sometimes to think that this is my most important identity and purpose in life. So as part of a spiritual exercise last year, I took one of my business cards and I wrote the following words on it in the white space. My whole reality and value is grounded in being created and redeemed in Christ. My whole reality and value is grounded in being created and redeemed in Christ. That's who I really am. And I keep it in my purse to remind me. Are we secure in our identity as children of God, individually and together, And if you're at all uncertain about your identity as a beloved son or daughter of God, then please come and talk about it with one of us. Or ask for prayer after the service. This is also a good time to reflect on our vocation, whether that's our vocation as an individual or our vocation as a church community. And don't let anyone ever tell you that vocations are only for ordained people. Everyone has a vocation. What, what is God calling us to in this time and place? What should the shape of mission and ministry be as we go forward here? Are there some things which need to have a good ending? before we can begin a new season in the mission and ministry to which Jesus invites us. Asking God these questions and listening attentively for his answers will be crucial if we are to clearly discern what we should and should not be embarking on or continuing. And it may well involve us in laying some things aside to take up new ones. And we need to receive the freedom from God and from one another to be able to do that. On this last Sunday of Epiphany, it seems good to end the season with one of my favorite poems, It's a poem by Howard Thurman that speaks of endings and of new beginnings at this time of the year. It speaks of what happens when Christmas is over and past. But it also speaks of Jesus' mission and ministry to bring about God's kingdom on earth. A vocation that he calls each of us to join him in just as he did those very first disciples. And in the end, the revelation of Christ to the world can only continue if we accept that call to follow and we become the hands and the feet, the eyes and the ears and the heart of Christ himself. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among people, and to make music in the heart. Amen.